I'm Esther Armar. Welcome. You're listening to The Spin. Coming up, it's our special focus on teachers and teaching with a multimedia project called Who Taught You? We celebrate World Teachers Day on October 5th. This year's theme, Young Teachers, the Future of the Profession. Here on The Spin, we're hearing from an African woman educator, leader, teacher for this visionary project in Ghana, exploring power, contribution and celebration of our teachers here in Ghana, across Africa and all over the world. This week's show is all about those who stand in the front of the classroom. Teachers, teachers, teachers. On this week's show, we're celebrating those who go to school, those who figure out those lesson plans, grade papers, build confidence, nurture, encourage, challenge and affirm. Our guest this week is Dr. Mary Ashun. All of that coming up on The Spin. We're joined by Dr. Mary Ashun, Principal for Ghana International School, known as GIS, based in Ghana's capital city, Accra. She has been a principal for five years here in Ghana, uh, but she's taught and headed schools in southwestern Ontario, Canada for over 25 years. Dr. Ashun is a director on the board of the Association of International Schools in Africa, known as AISA. AISA is the leading association for school leaders and educators in Africa, more than 3,000 teachers and school leaders are members of AISA. 81 schools across the continent are part of it, and its members are located in 34 countries. But Dr. Ashun is also a prolific writer. She's penned 13 novels, two musicals, poetry, and even song lyrics. Get that. She's a mama of three grown-up sons and is, of course, their first teacher, as are millions and millions of mothers. Welcome to Who Taught You? Our special for World Teachers Day with Dr. Mary Ashun. Who Taught You is a week-long multimedia project led by EAA Media Productions in partnership with the Ministry of Education and the National Teaching Council of Ghana. It features teachers from the annual Ghana's Best Teacher Competition from across this country. They are from the Volta, Eastern and Ashanti regions, from Tamale in the north to Upper West and Accra. They teach in JHS and SHS, in Muslim schools and those for the disabled. SHS is senior high school, JHS is junior high school. Their subjects range from economics, math and science to history, ICT and arts, crafts, and trades. The teachers featured in the Who Taught You project are Munkaila Al Hassan, Christiana Yeye, Sabina Dosu, Mark Kofi, and the 2018 winner, Nicholas Bosse. World Teachers Day is held annually on October 5th since 1994, and it commemorates the anniversary of the adoption of the 1966 ILO UNESCO recommendation concerning the status of teachers. 
That recommendation sets benchmarks regarding the rights and responsibilities of teachers and standards for their initial preparation and further education, recruitment, employment, as well as teaching and learning conditions. Now, those recommendations concerning the status of higher education teaching personnel were adopted back in 1997 to complement the 1966 recommendation by covering teaching and research personnel in higher education. Teachers are, of course, part of SDG 4, whose focus is education. And World Teachers Day centres acknowledging, evaluating and enhancing the instructors of the world. It also considers the issues identified with educators and the teaching process in general. Dr. Ashun, you are a leader in the world of education in Ghana and increasingly across Africa. You're a principal and a teacher. You're leading a prestigious school in Ghana, GIS. But you're also a learner, were a student, were taught. So let's talk the celebration and contribution of teachers. We all have that teacher, the one who taught us, more than taught us, who nurtured us, affirmed us, challenged us. They had some kind of impact. And that impact shaped important elements of our personality, our intellect, our approach to and our love of learning. So for you, who was that teacher? What is his or her name or what are their names? Very, very early on, I remember a teacher called Mr. Redfawn in my school in Chigwell. And Mr. Redfawn seemed to wear the same suit every single day. I was about six years old in his grade one class. He just was the kindest person ever. And I think that's, that's what I remember about him. This man made going to school a safe space. I didn't feel afraid because everything else was scary. We had moved to a new country, you know. So I think that's what I remember there, that going to school was safe because Mr. Redfawn was there. Then we get to secondary school where everything is just crazy and, you know, your hormones are all over the place. You've got tons and tons of subjects to do. And my favorite teacher from that time is Mr. Titi Ofe. And he's actually the principal of SOS Herman Minor right now. What did he teach? He was my chemistry teacher. The school is in Tema. So it's one of the leading schools in Ghana as well. And Mr. Titiofe made class interesting. Even the way he arrived for class was very dramatic. And I think anyone listening who, who was in my class or who he ever taught will remember this. He would drive up to the science building and there would be a plume of dust following his car. It was almost like it was on a racetrack. And everyone knew Mr. Titiofe had arrived just by the screeching of the cars. And now I think back, I'm, I'm like, how old was he? he? He must have been quite young, you know, at the time. But he entered with excitement. And you just knew class was going to be fun because he was excited to be there. He used a lot of repetitive words, which, of course, at that time I didn't understand were key to teaching. You know, repeating yourself, sometimes with just a little bit of a twist, but repeating yourself. And he used to say, and I can't even remember the unit that we were, were learning, but so as to tend to annul the effect of the decrease in pressure or something along those like decrease in temperature. I think we're learning P is equal to something, something. Chemistry. Okay. Chemistry. And, and, and here I am a chemist and I've completely forgotten. But all I remember is that you knew what Mr. Titiofe was bringing to school that day. He was bringing excitement. He was bringing a love of learning. And because he was excited, even when the content was difficult, we wanted to learn because he was excited. And then in university, my favorite teacher 
was a female professor. What I remember most about her and why I wanted to be her was that she never brought a textbook to class. And you know university, you know, students cut class. Yeah, students cut class. I mean, who's following you? Do you see what I mean? Her class, there was a line outside. I mean, there was a wait list to sign up for her class. And you know what the class was? It was an elective for many of us. So we shouldn't have taken it seriously. It was archaeology. Yeah, biological archaeology or something like that. She was a biology professor, but there was some elements of archaeology there. And I can recall her just leaning on her desk and the info just flowed out of her. Like if she was asleep and you woke her, she would be talking about Australopithecus. And I just used to stare and I'm like, I want to be you one day. I want to be able to be so effortless in how knowledge is transferred and disgust and she was comfortable she never once got mad and how could you get mad when everyone was enthralled anyway you know everyone was enthralled everyone was engaged you know this was university so no bells so it was usually movement outside the in the hallway that would let you know you know perhaps the class has ended but nobody would be itching to leave so right now that you're asking me, I mean, typically when I'm talking to, to others, uh, Mr. Titi Affair is the one that comes to mind because I don't know whether it's because I'm in Ghana. But these three really stand out for me. And each time I've done seminars on your best teacher and your, your, your worst teacher and trying to get teachers to understand what an impact, because this is how many years ago? Several, several years ago. And for Mr. Redfan, my grade school teacher, when I heard he had passed away, it was a huge blow to me, thousands of miles away. And I wish I could have gone back to say, you know what, thank you for making that six-year-old feel safe and secure so she could learn. How beautiful is that? Talk a bit about how those three people teaching different subjects, what did you learn? What, what impact did they have on you? I mean, you the person and then the actual shaping of your intellect. I learned to trust when somebody was being kind and, and wanted to help me, you know, as a child. It was so easy to mistrust because I had other unkind people around me. As a child in a new country, I didn't speak the language too well and, and all of that. So that taught me to open up, open up to somebody wanting to help me. And to realize that the fact that somebody was a different color from me didn't mean that they couldn't care for me or love me. Because all around me, there were racist uh, attacks from people who were the same color as Mr. Redfan. You know, so very early on as a child, I realized that you could have good and bad people in the same color. You know, and I probably didn't process that as deeply as I would now as an adult. For Mr. Titiofe, I realized that you needed to bring your passion to work with you every single day because what you project is what the students will take away and whenever I meet my classmates and we're talking we're laughing about our teachers this just comes through all the time it comes through all the time bring your passion with you the enthusiasm is critical learning can be difficult for many kids Right. And especially in those times, I'm talking the 80s, where we really didn't know about learning styles and teaching styles. Everybody was being taught the same way. And so if you were lucky and that was the teaching style that appealed to your learning style, you did fantastic. You know, so to have someone try and layer that and it would be interesting to talk to him now and say, were you actually thinking that you were doing this? Because it is very possible that it came very naturally to him. Right. His voice carried. He moved around the room. 
In fact, sometimes that could be a bit unsettling because he moved so much. But the movement kept you awake, you know, and he would call out people's names. And, and later on in Teachers College, I picked up on all of those things and I thought that was what he was doing right, you know. But at that time, we just thought he was an exciting teacher. That's it. And it's probably because he's young, because we've got some old fuddy-duddies there who are as boring as hell. You know, we didn't understand that he was bringing elements of pedagogical excellence, you know, into the classroom. But that whole thing about bringing your, your best you to the classroom makes me think of a time when I was teaching grade 11 chemistry. There was a young man I had taught since grade 7 in science, and I'd left the school that I taught him in when he was in grade 7. And he moved to the school that I was in when he was in grade 10. So he felt like he had had me for a, a, for a bit. And I was going through a rough patch. I had just got to the point where I was beginning to wonder, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? I felt like there was more to it. I was teaching chemistry, coincidentally. So one day after school, I'm in the lab trying to finish up marking. And then he walks in. He goes, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And he goes, how come you don't teach us like you want to be here? And my stomach, I just, there was this gaping hole of shame in my, in my tummy. Because, you know, it made me think of the picture of Dorian Gray. You know, that fantastic story. So Dorian Gray is the story of a, a man who was eternally young, but had a painting in his attic that was of him, but he was aging away. Classic story. Everything that was happening to him in real life was sort of reflected on, on the picture. And I kept on wondering, is what's happening in me beginning to show on the outside? Because I thought I was hiding it really, really well. But I was in an unhappy space of not knowing professionally where I was going, which was really odd given the fact that I knew kids loved me. This young man, his family had moved him from one school to the other because I'd left. So what greater affirmation could a teacher have than that, that students move with you when you do decide to make a career change? And yet I still thought I was unhappy. And that was beginning to show. So, of course, I did what most adults do. I lied. <laughs> and I said, no, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. You know, I'm just tired. You know, it's been a long day. He goes, but it's not just today. It's been every day. You weren't like this in grade seven and you weren't like this in grade nine. And incidentally, that young man is a doctor right now. Sharif, Dr. Sharif Khalil, wherever you are, would would to you, Sharif. Talk a bit about that. A student seeing you and saying that because, you know, that could have been a defensiveness as an authority figure. What goes through your mind? What, what went through your mind? I think I was protecting myself and I was protecting him. There, there was that element. I think it's easier to understand protecting me bit. But the protecting him was that I saw a young man who had placed a certain hope in me. I was that teacher he wanted to be. I was that teacher teaching a subject he thought he wanted to pursue. I didn't want to dash those hopes, you know. So I think that was where the, the protecting him made me lie and say, it's nothing, I'm okay, what are you talking about? I'm just tired, you know. And he goes, oh, okay, because a bunch of us are wondering. And the bunch of us made me scared because I thought it's not just Sharif, you know. So I just dismiss. I say, hey, get home, go do your homework. Otherwise, tomorrow you're going to be on detention. You know, typical teacher talk. And he left. And I just sat like a stone at my desk. I didn't do any more work. I packed up silently. 
went and sat in my car, drove out of the school, and the very first traffic light that gave me a red, I just burst into tears. There was this extreme sadness that I had hurt my students because I knew that if I hadn't been bringing my best, they were hurting, you know. So by the time I got home, I said, okay, Mary, you got to bring your A game back. You used to be a fantastic teacher. Maybe right now you're just good, but I don't do ordinary. So I've got to be fantastic all the time. And being fantastic is difficult all the time. You know, you, you need a special grace. You need to remember why it's such a great place to be, to teach kids. But I think once I purposed it, I was able to just get myself going and, and kept going. What made you so sad? Were you at a crossroads with teaching, with a profession? Had you lost your passion? I think that was what it was. I'd been teaching for quite a while, teaching chemistry and biology. I think I'd been doing it for at least 10 years, about 10 years. For me, I love change. So to be doing the same thing over and over again, even though I'd changed schools, it was tough for me because I was thinking, what's new? It's just a different group of kids. But I hadn't yet learned to see that as the change I needed. And so once I started reviewing and reflecting, I realized, you know what, you love change. And maybe the change you're getting is a different crop of kids to inspire, you know. But I never saw it as that. For me, it was I'm still teaching chemistry. I'm still teaching biology. This thing is getting boring. I had gotten to the point where I didn't need a textbook anymore, you know. So what's new? And I think that's what it was. And maybe there was a bit of angst to that. If I left teaching, what would I do? And, and, and the scary thing was that I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. You know, I trained as a research scientist. I had a PhD in biochemistry. I could go back to the lab. But suddenly I realized I needed my kids. You know, I needed my kids. And being in a lab, mixing chemicals, titrating this and titrating that would not give me the joy that I experienced from seeing my students learn and for having them come back. And so that was the space that I was in. And it got me to, to really reflect a lot about it and to ask myself, maybe is it time for a change? Go, go somewhere else. And that's when, incidentally, the school that I was in was a Christian school. And there was one room reserved in the school for parents to come in and pray for the school, which is a really neat concept. And so one day I was walking, just a few days after this incident, I'm walking out of the staff room. I meet one of the parents. She was a professor at a university in Southern Ontario. And then she says, hey, how are you? And I, I, I lied again. And I said, I'm good. <laughs> you know, picked up my voice an octave higher. And she said, we've been praying for you. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is too much now. You've been praying for me. But of course, I said, oh, great. Thank you so much. And she said, we're just wondering, has God been speaking to you about next steps? And I'm like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> but what are you thinking? And she said, we're, we're just wondering, we just felt the need to pray for you. One of the parents said, let's pray for Dr. Shun. So I said, yeah, I do need prayer. I need prayer because I'm in a, a weird spot. I should be extremely happy because by all intents and purposes, I'm happy at what I do. My students keep coming back and telling me they miss me and they're doing well in uni. And they've all gone doing what they wanted to do, many of them in the sciences. So I should be happy about what I do. But something's missing. and I, Maybe I'm not feeling challenged. And she said, you know what? I'm about to retire at the university. Would you like to perhaps interview for the position is to teach teachers 
how to teach science. And I looked at her and all of a sudden I felt like I was bursting. Teach teachers how to teach science, not go and teach them science, but how to teach science. And I said, you know what? I'm in. And so that's how I ended up at the university as a professor. And I did that for five years. And then being me, I got bored again. But the university was great because I felt that multiplying effect. Whatever I'd been doing well, I had passed it along to a great crop of young, energetic teachers who were raring to change the world. How, how much more could I ask for than that? There's something so beautiful about that. Because the theme for this year's World Teacher Day is literally young teachers, the future of our profession. So as you think back to teaching teachers how to teach science and young minds that were in your care, what do you remember about what young teachers bring into the space and how they influenced and impacted you? You know, the things that you saw that were exciting, dynamic, that expanded opportunity for the future of that subject. What was powerful about that for you? I think there was that newness, that freshness, just like in, in any other field. I feel that teachers who've been doing the same thing for a long time can get tired. It's a fact. Yeah, it is life. And so the the new teachers were renewing. They were renewing to those of us professors who were teaching them. They were renewing in the sense, too, that by the time we had taught them all the classroom stuff and they had done their practicums, you knew that they were going to go into classes raring to change the world, you know. And then you felt scared for them, too, because you were like, in five years' time, uh-uh. That would change, you know. And so for me, it was what, what can I do to sustain that interest, that love, that passion that you show? So those young teachers, I think that's what they were doing. And in this program in Ontario, teachers are paid quite well. And so there, there is a spot at a university teaching program is a premium, you know. So you had people who not only had done well in school, but who had actually made that conscious decision to be there as a teacher. And day in and day out, you know, you would hear their stories on practicum training and you knew that you had taught them something. And for me, I was the only black professor in the university. You know, this is 2019 we're talking. I'm, I'm, I'm talking 2007. And it still seems a bit late for university to have just one black professor, you know, in North America. But that's what it was. And so I know for a fact that a black female professor, an African one, was quite the image for them. And in the early days, I did have some pushback, especially from the males in the class. What did the pushback look like? Oh, it looked like, uh, could you not find a white professor? Could you not find a male professor? And, you know, I wasn't the only female professor in the department. You know, there were a couple. It's amazing the way we gender competence. Wait, why don't you ask who would have been the best professor? The first time that I got the feedback, I remember, you know, me and my bawling my eyes out. I went under my desk. I put the music on real loud on my computer and I just cried and cried because I started feeling scared again. And then I called my mom and you know mamas. Mama's like, you're gonna get out from underneath that desk and you gonna show them who you are, you know? So I got out from under the desk and I was me again, 
you know. But that's what it looked like, a bit of a pushback. But my professors, fellow professors in the department were fantastic, most notably Dr. Steve Sider, who is at Wilfrid Laurier University right now. We're actually doing research together. He's coming to Ghana in the next couple of months. And he was an incredible support to me at that time. And I just realized how difficult it is for women and black women in certain spaces and to have a white male, you know, be my support spoke a lot, you know, and helped me especially through those difficult times. And the feedback from some of my students who who are now teachers, of course, I remember one student who, until I taught him, I think he was in his fourth year, the education program was a, a five-year program because you had to do a bit of your, your bachelor's first and then you got put into this program. This young man wrote his final reflective piece and again brought me to tears because he said, until you taught me, I'd never interacted with a black person before. And he was living in southern Ontario and he came from a farming village so far away from the metropolis that really you know coming to the university was the biggest move he had ever made and he he wrote such a passionate essay about how worried he was when he first saw me he didn't know what I would say what I would do and he said because of you I'm now confident to approach others who are not like me So in fact, I gave him his first teaching job because I was principal of a school that was largely Egyptian Coptic, right? And he applied, yes. He applied for the role. He comes in and he's so nervous because hardly anyone around the panel looks like him. He's this tall, bearded, white guy, you know? So he did an atrocious job the first time around, but I was so confident this guy could do it. So I recommended to the panel that we give him a second chance. And he got the job. He taught for four years. And now he's all over the world, went to Kuwait first. I think he's in China now. But he said, because of you, I could venture out of my safe space to go and affect others. Because I could see that you ventured out of your safe space to come to a place where no one looks like you to teach us. (laughs) What if the world gave black women second chances the way you gave this man, who now teaches all over the world, a second chance? What if, right? Oh, oh, yeah. So really teaching, which became profession, became purpose, became vocation, it really is the epitome of celebration and contribution. You're listening to Who Taught You? Celebration, Contribution, Power on The Spin. It's our special multimedia project in honour of World Teachers' Day. It's in partnership with Ghana's Ministry of Education and the National Teaching Council. Sheep don't run with lion, snake don't swing with monkey. I can't talk for too long, got too much go to try on. Sheep don't run with lion, snake don't swing with monkey. I can't talk for too long, got too much go to try on. Teachers in Ghana, across Africa, all over the world. Game changers, rule makers, path creators. They lead, they shape, they nurture, they discover, and they build. 
this spin. We are on air in London on ABN Radio UK, across the US in Iowa, Ohio, Texas, Arizona, North Carolina, Massachusetts, New Jersey, South Carolina, and Mississippi. We are online on SoundCloud and iTunes. Who taught you? Celebration, contribution, power. African rappers like, no, you don't belong here. Now we blowing up and they like, oh, something wrong here. Rocking SOBs and Papa Juve told me, you never hit the stage without your flag, young homie. We realizing the rise of a new foundation. Said success means nothing if you lose dedication. And living as an immigrant was hard to endure. Now we waking up to 20,000 people on tour. This for my Afropolitan dreamers is bigger than Benz and Bemis, cause nobody wanna see a successful. So when they tell you that you ain't, but you know that you are. When they tell you that you can't, but you know that you can. Just remember, success is the best payback. Success is the best payback. Yeah. So put your glass up. Uh, we made it this far. Waving that rag on green, black star. No matter who you are, success is the best payback. No matter who you are, success is the best payback. Dedicated to the non-believers The ones who thought that we'll forever be underachievers Cause where I'm from they scheme on your dreams when you're unfamiliar A doctor, a lawyer, anything else is just a failure Look at us now, yeah, I'm running this town Never looking back, give it up, this is our time And I'm making damn sure that my team's with me Envy and peace, still rolling with me With a horn section when I'm on percussion Optics on the boards, no discussion And I spit so sick, it's a moment of clarity Red for style, but you need to So when they tell you that you ain't But you know that you are When they tell you that you can't But you know that you can Just remember, success is the best Payback, success is the best payback, yo. So put your glass up, yeah. We made it this far, waving that rag on green, black star. No matter who you are, success is the best payback. No matter who you are, success is the best payback.
The primary tool all teachers carry is power. They have authority and how they use it, wield it, engage it, reimagine it or abuse it matters. Let's talk about it here in Ghana, across Africa and globally. Power and young teachers, what that should mean, can mean, and what we really don't want it to mean. So for you, thinking back when you were teaching chemistry and biology, what did power mean to you then? And how has it evolved over time? I think it scared me the first time. And when you were saying that, it just took me back to the first time I think I realized how much power. And that was when a parent told me to tell her son to have a haircut. And my first thought, why are you telling me? You're the mum. Tell him to have a haircut. And she says, no, but he'll do it when you say it. You know, and I thought, well, cutting your hair is not even a classroom activity. You know, it's a home. <laughs> yeah, I teach chemistry and science. Uh, you know, do your equations. Go and titrate your 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 chemicals. You know, that that's what I do. I don't do hair cutting. I don't tell you what clothes to wear. I don't tell you what chores to do. But it was as if I had entered their home, you know, and I was that powerful. And it scared me a little bit. I was quite young then. I started teaching when I was 26 years old. It made me realize that every single thing I did, from the way I dressed to what I said, to even just a look could mean so much. It could build a child up or it could tear them down. And that scared me a whole lot. I had a little son at that time and he was a precocious one and therefore had a, a bit of a rough time in the early years when you know he didn't know why certain things should be the way they were and there were some teachers who just knew how to turn him around and get the best from him and others who just had no clue and they would get upset with him and and to this day he hasn't forgotten them. So it was a burden you know, on me for a while. And every day was like a prayer for me that God let me be who you want me to be every single day, you know, because I could be impacting someone for life over here, you know. And so here in Ghana with my teachers as well, I'm always hoping that when they get into class, there's that positive influence. And fortunately for me, I work with a fantastic group of leaders who also believe the same thing. And so whenever we have staff meetings, group meetings, small learning groups, professional learning communities, all of that, we make sure that we remind them of the impact that they have. If they haven't realized it, well, you know, you do have impact. We don't forget those things. We don't forget the good stuff. It's funny. I think we don't forget the bad stuff more because the bad stuff goes into a special place in our minds and our hearts 
and we act on those things that happened a long time ago. Uh, some may choose never to teach or never to even consider the profession because I would be like Mr. So-so-and-so. And then others would say, that's all I want to be because of Mr. So-so-and-so. And those two extremes. Given the depth and significance of power, is it something that teachers get a special training around? Do you think there needs to be a special focus on what it means to have power in a classroom over students? You know, what it means to exercise that power. And I mean power in connection with gender, abuse, information, all of those things. Does that exist in Ghana? And if it doesn't, should it? I'm not sure that it does. The impression I've gotten, again, it's just an impression because I haven't really looked at the teacher training curriculum here. But as a people in Ghana, we don't talk about our emotions a lot. We're not very comfortable doing so. So I'm not sure how it would be seen, you know, it was if it was a course or a session. I think it needs to be more than a session. And I'm saying this because several years ago, I was doing some teacher training, teacher workshops across Accra. And it was a three-day workshop series. And I always started with, who was your favorite teacher? Who was your worst teacher? And the reason I did this was because I wanted to get to that emotional space a bit. And then also to make them realize that you may have gone to teacher's college or teacher training college thinking that you were there to learn how to teach a subject, you know, little realizing you're there to learn how to teach a child. And the subject is a vehicle, you know, for you to be in the classroom. And so as they were, they're talking and sharing who their favorite and their worst teachers are, there's some key words that keep popping up over and over again, Right. Very, very interesting. These are rooms full of mostly teachers, I would say, who are above 35. And invariably, when I, when I start off with who was your worst teacher, nobody can talk. Nobody can say a thing. When I say who was your favorite teacher, hands go up. And so I would say, okay, let's start from this side. And the, the, the space is a happy space. There's laughter. There's joy, you know, and the, some of the words I put up on on, on uh, the chalkboard or the whiteboard are that the person cared for me. The person spent time with me after school to take me through this. They smiled at me. So those things that we've never really sat down to think about as key elements of good teaching, we always think it's the subject. You know, I would put them all up on the board and then we'll say, so who was your worst teacher? Again, mega silence. So I would always start with my worst teacher. I tell you, the temperature of the room would drop as one by one, these people would start talking about their experience with that worst teacher. Who was your worst teacher? You don't have to name that person, but, but what made them your worst teacher? It was the lack of respect that she had for students. She would mark work, call out your name, and as you walk towards her desk, she would throw the paper on the floor. You were not good enough to touch the same sheet of paper as she was. She never smiled once. Giving you eye contact was like the hardest thing ever. It was a painful class to be in. A real painful class. And for those who were in class with me, if they're listening, they'll know who I'm talking about. All of us experienced that. But in typical Ghanaian fashion, fama nyame. You just think, you know what, you endure this and it moves on because she's not going to be your teacher for the rest of your life. It's just for a season and then it's over. But I've never forgotten that. 
And I know I never want to be that kind of teacher. And in one of the sessions I had with teachers when I was doing this exercise, when it got to one woman, she was literally shaking and she burst into tears. And everyone, you know, everyone was so sad at that point. And every time I do that session, we need to take a break. It is an emotional space that many are not prepared for. And we need to take a break, stretch, walk, stand tall, do something. And then when they come back, that's when I tell them, we all know now who we want to be, right? And look at the effect on you 20 years after the fact, 30 years after the, the fact. You're still crying over a grade five teacher over a secondary school teacher. You're a grown man, grown woman with children of your own. You're a professional, but this still hurts so deeply. That should let you know the power that a teacher has over you over several years. I remember meeting that teacher I just talked about who threw the paper on the, on the ground. I met her, both as grown women. And it was very interesting how it happened because she was in one of my sessions. Wow. Wow. The student had become the teacher and the teacher had become the student. You have no idea how prophetic what you just said is because after the sessions were over on that last day, we were having lunch, the whole group, and everyone was asked, what did you get from this three-day session? So everyone spoke and then she put her hand up. And she stood up and she said, I never thought this day would ever come when the student would teach the teacher how to teach. And Esther, I forgave her. So now we're friends. She's retired right now. But she would write to me and say, I'm about to teach this. Do you have any resources for it? And I would point her in the right direction. We chatted. I found out what she was going through at that time. And she was going through a lot. And my heart went out to her because now as an adult, I realize what life could do to you, you know. But what she didn't have at that time was support, you know, whether family support, whether school support. Few knew what she was going through. She was bearing all those burdens herself and unfortunately had to come into the class every single day. And it takes a whole effort to leave those burdens and be a bright, perky person. You know, so as an adult, I totally understand now and what that has made me do more than ever is to make sure I'm there for my teachers, to make sure that well-being in schools is a critical thing. With ASA, we've got a strong well-being policy. We have a conference coming up later this year and it's going to be a huge part of the conference because if your teacher is not well, and we're not just talking physical wellness, we're talking mental wellness. They will go into class and they will abuse, whether it's verbal, sexual, authoritative kind of abuse, whatever it is, they will abuse because they're not in a good space as well. I want us to put this within the cultural context in Ghana and across Africa, where there is a certain distance between the student and the teacher and this authority that's about, it's literally about being unchallenged and unquestioned. And that actually encourages the teacher to stay unchanged. So in part one, you talked about a student coming to you and saying, you know, you don't want to be here. And that was a crossroads moment. It became a change moment for you. I'm just trying to imagine a student in Ghana trying to say that 
to their teacher. Can you imagine? But you're right. I think that that really begs the question of, so how do we get teachers to that point? This is also about the profession and how we need to reimagine power. You know, one that honours the necessity of respect, but, but recognises there are some elements that we define as power that don't necessarily serve learning. I'm thinking that maybe the image of the teacher needs to change a bit. In your intro, you had said those who stand in front of our classrooms. And I think for a long time, that has been the image, the sage on the stage. So you're the all-knowing sage, you know, nobody knows better than you. You're here to impart knowledge. And the person who's sitting sort of down below must listen. You know, whereas we're trying very hard to change that. And sometimes even you, you'll see the use of the word facilitator instead of teacher. So the facilitator then brings another dimension to the role of the teacher. And, and that is that you're there to facilitate learning because it is very possible that you're not there, but learning is happening. You know, and so we've got to realize that, that even when kids are walking out, every time from my window in my office, I watch kids walking out to the canteen. We've got lots of trees, there are different species of plants and, and so on. There's so much to see. There's so much learning happening in the process. And you're not there as a teacher. But once you are present, your role is to guide the learner to the point where they have that aha moment and they realize, ooh, this is another tidbit. I didn't know this before. I now know this, and this makes all the sense in the world to me. So if we can move away from that, then you'll find that the facilitator therefore no longer stands in front of the classroom the entire time. They may stand in front to introduce something, but throughout the experience, they are walking around the classroom and making sure that every learner knows what they're supposed to be doing. If they are stuck, the facilitator is there to facilitate the learning, to move things along, all right? Because the momentum has slowed down in some way, shape, or form, you know? So if we can just reimagine that, and that will take a long while because it's taken centuries, you know, for us to embed that image of the teacher. And in Ghana especially, that image of the teacher sometimes has the teacher holding a cane. You know, so no longer are you standing at the front as the sage, but you have got a rod to discipline those who don't do what you want them to do. And right away, it inspires fear in the learner. And all the research shows that the happier you are, the more you learn. When you're scared, you don't learn in that moment. After the moment, when you reflect on that scary period, you learn something from it. You either learn to run away from whatever was scaring you or to put things in place to stop yourself from being scared. But in the moment, you will not learn because your brain is just firing off all sorts of stuff. The fight or flight concept, all of that, you're not going to be in a learning space. You know, so some of that imagery has to change. And I'm sure that those personalities you mentioned at the beginning who've won the, the teacher of the year or they've been nominated finalists, I won't be surprised if they're not the kind of teachers who don't stand in front of the class. These are the people who take students outside to the sports field to learn about perimeter by walking the sports field. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because one of the teachers shortlisted for Ghana's best teacher, spoke about the conditions where he once taught that weren't particularly great. And so he took the students outside, sat under a tree, it was beautiful, and taught them there, you know, creative. So let me read what some of the teachers say about power and get your responses. This is Munkaila Al-Hassan. He says, teachers can use their powers to change the behaviours of the youth, to nurture them. 
abuse of power can lead to mistrust. Your response? This coming weekend, we have a conference at GIS. The theme for the conference is International Mindedness, the teacher as a driver for global change. And even the use of the word driver is significant because when you're driving something, you are in control. You are leading. But at the same time, you must know where you're going. This is Mark Coffey. Power must be managed properly. A teacher who cannot manage his or her emotions abuses power by abusing students, which is very dangerous, unquote. The fact that a teacher has power does not give him the authority to be having, quote, affairs, unquote, with the students. The word manage there for me sticks out because time and time again, successful teachers are shown to be the ones who have classroom management skills that are above average. Right. And it's not classroom management skills that cause you to scream at students just to get them to listen to you, but the ability to engage just your presence in the classroom. Kids should walk in and feel like they are ready to learn. So the managing, right, there that he talks about, managing your emotions. Again, we've got all sorts of stuff happening to all of us at home. You don't bring that baggage to the classroom. You try and drop it somewhere else. But the ability to do that is a skill in managing your emotions. This is Sabina Dosu. Teachers must use their power to give positive information. Unquote. Positive information, not just information, but positive information. I don't know. I, I, I wonder, I mean, you can give negative information too in a positive way. So I'm wondering whether what she's driving at is making sure that your, your, your facts are legit. When you are teaching, you're teaching the right thing. I've been in some classrooms um, listening to teachers and only to hear them say something that is just completely wrong. <laughs> And the, and the kids are listening and nodding, they're writing down. Even worse is when you go into a language class, a French class, for example, and the teacher's pronunciation is all wrong. And they say, say after me, merci beaucoup. And then the kids go, merci beaucoup. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> this is Nicolas Borsé. He's actually the 2018 Ghana's Best Teacher winner. And he talks about abuse of power. He says, quote, abuse of power leads to lack of respect from the students. It also raises questions about teachers' integrity, considering the number of years they have been in the profession, unquote. Very true. It's just that in Ghana, the kids won't be able to show that disrespect that they have of you. They won't be able to show it. But I, I, I think that you'll probably still feel it. You're, you're only human. You will feel it that the kids don't respect you. And there are a couple of teachers that come to mind from my school days who I know knew that kids didn't respect them, which made them lash out even more. This is from Christiana Yeye. She teaches the intellectually disabled. She says, quote, teachers must use the power to advise students to learn and show them love. They must not misuse the power by having, quote, affairs, unquote, with their students. When the power is abused, the dignity of the profession is lost, unquote. A couple of years ago, I was a keynote speaker at a conference. And what I told teachers was, you know what? If someone disrespects the profession, it's because of you. You've done it, you know. And as a collective, that responsibility is ours to get it back. You know, because if you do abuse it by having an affair with your student or by indicating that you have feelings towards them that are wholly inappropriate, that child will look at you like, who are you? 
you know, and why are you here? They will disrespect you. And suddenly your behavior becomes the behavior of every teacher. And even if another teacher were to show them care, they would misconstrue that for sexual praying, you know, and it could be just, I care for you. You know, the duty of care is so important. And because we have a society that is quite open in showing affection, you know, even these days, I don't see it too much. But when I was a child growing up, you know, taxi drivers and whomever could honk at you and say, hey, madam, you look fine, oh, you know, by the roadside. And, and it was fine. I remember one time, and this was in Ontario, I visited a teacher in a class and he was helping a little girl. He was a teacher in a, in a grade one classroom, helping a little girl to unscrew the top of a thermos flask. And he said, sit on my lap and together we will open this thermos flask. And I remember thinking to myself, uh-oh, not a good idea, you know. But boy, that used to be okay. It was not a big deal. You know, and just the what he took the little child through and the child just felt so affirmed when, quote unquote, she opened the thermos flask when it was really the teacher with his hand on her hand. You know, it was a beautiful moment. But because of all these predators around, many of our beautiful moments have been turned around and have changed. So final question on this celebration of World Teachers Day the theme of which is young teachers, the future of our profession. What do young teachers bring into this profession, this world of teaching the learners that makes it extra special? They bring hope. They bring hope. You know, for those of us who are growing older and older by the minute, uh, we wonder what the, the next generation of students will have. And so when we see young teachers who have chosen this pathway, I think what they remind us of is that there's hope. We're going to get better. We're going to get better. We're going to learn more. They're actually choosing to do this. And because there's a choice there, that makes a whole lot of difference. They want to be there. Like that student asked me, how come you teach like you don't want to be here? Young teachers come to the profession showing us that they want to be there. That's your hour on Who Taught You? Celebration, Contribution, Power. Our multimedia project celebrating World Teachers Day. Thank you to Dr. Mary Shin for this discussion part of the project. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Esther. The Spin is brought to you by a global team. Our sound editor, David McKeever, a.k.a. McKeever Magic, and Loretta Rucker of the AAPRC. The Spin. Your hour of talk, where smart is sexy. I'm your host, Esther Alma. I'm so damn foxy. Industry try to block me like cops and paparazzi. Those that don't copy, just copy properly. Everybody's same policy, universal equality. Responsibility, policy to survive economically. Some people do it comically. Future freedom, equality. Invest your money properly. People owe me your policy. Intellectual property, stealing, stolen, commodity. Souls controlling, robbery, cold, lack of commodity. Clones, copycats, bother me. Mine on black, that's Honestly, 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 all these jokers economy Puppets with no autonomy Yup, it's Fuji's economy
Yeah, I see you looking, but you better take, take it easy. easy. You know? Tell your goons that they better take it easy. Here comes the rocket launcher. Take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. Too much ex mommy. Take it easy. Good with the sex, you be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. You moving bricks, but you better take it easy. Here's a tip. You too flash. I don't tip twice, but your best friend DT. And that dog sniff in the bag ain't lassie. And I ain't rhyme in a minute, but y'all ain't catch up. And I ain't blood on your shirt, man. That's ketchup. Picture cleft, get the writer to give him help. I'd rather kill myself, become a ghost, and write for myself. Cause I'm a top celebrity, top celebrity, top. This program has been brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.